Good morning, church. So good to see all of you. We're going to jump into God's Word together. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 28. We know a little bit about this passage. Familiar passage, wonderful, rich passage. So while you're turning there, I just want to say a, a word of, uh, of welcome to our guests. It's such a joy to have you with us. If you're here for the very first time, we're, we're grateful that you would come and worship with us. So we give ourselves to the study of his word. We build our worship gathering around uh, our study of his word. So our desire as Christians is to come underneath the teaching of God as he reveals his will through his word. That's why we do what we're about to do right here in Matthew chapter 28. So we're in the midst of a series called City on a Hill, and we're asking the question, what does it look like to be transformed people shining out as lights in our community, in this city, and in the world. And we've been looking at that under a number of pursuits that we want to go after passionately together as a local church. So we've talked about pursuing transformation and worship and community and kindness. And last week, uh, Pastor Chip brought us a word about ministry and the interrelated way in which we strengthen each other as members of the local church. And then this morning, we pursue mission. So the setting, background of Matthew 28 may be familiar to to many of you. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he has instructed his disciples that he's going to meet with them in Galilee, and these are the words that he's going to share with his disciples, starting in verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age." These are precious words to us as a church. We remind ourselves of these last words from Jesus every Sunday on our way out. We let these words from Jesus ring in our ears before we head out. You, you ask the question, you think about our life as a local church. Why, uh, why do we send out missionaries? Why do we engage in short-term mission trips? Why do we send people out midterm, so anywhere from two months to two years? Why do we send people out long-term to plant their lives in another culture, another place in the world, and live on mission for the glory of Jesus in hard places often? And why do we do that, especially in light of recent news? So these are actual headlines. I'm just going to limit myself to the past 30 days, February 25th, 2019, article titled, For 16 Syrian believers, baptism is a radical choice. March 4th, 2019, China promises financial rewards for reporting Christians. March 13, 2019, 11 Christians killed every day for their decision to follow Jesus. March 16, 2019, six Christians killed, 470 flee in Congo attack. March 20th, 2019, media Mum as Christians die, genocide 
in Nigeria. Why do we do this? Why do we send people to parts of the world where there's great resistance to the gospel? The answer is because Jesus left us with a task. It's often called the Great Commission, and it's right here in this text. You read the book of Acts, and you can see that the apostles who stood with him on the mountain in Galilee didn't miss the point. They knew exactly what he was saying, and they did exactly what he said. They understood. He was saying, spread the message that Jesus is the king. Spread that message and just keep going further and further and keep going until all have heard. That's what you see in the book of Acts, that they just kept going until all have heard. And they would know that the task would be finished when Jesus returned, which was going to be rather obvious. Trumpets would sound, eastern sky opens up, right? So until that happens, they and now we have a task. And since that hasn't happened, the task remains unfinished, So all we know to do is what Jesus left his disciples with in his last words. We have a command from Jesus. We have an unspeakable stewardship of the gospel message. We have the joyful privilege of proclaiming Jesus is king and proclaiming that the hope of the world has come and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again on the third day victorious over sin and death and Satan and all who trust in him have life forevermore. Sins forgiven. That's the message we proclaim. Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years. It's, it's the index of faithfulness for the church. He's given us a task and he's not back yet, so we're still about the task as a church. This, this passage, friends, is precious to us as the Church of Brook Hills. This is not a burdensome text. <laughs> this is not a chore. This is the joy of joys. This is our favorite thing. We love this passage. We love what it tells us. We love Jesus' words. Uh, what, you know, just think about the interconnection, the dynamics of the Christian life. Our lives have been changed forever. We, we don't want to keep this to ourselves. We can't keep this to ourselves. So out we go into this community and further and further until all have heard. That's, that's the drumbeat of the gospel mission. So we're going to look this morning at some things that have been treasured by us for many years, but we want to continue to cultivate a passion for what we see here in Scripture. Four aspects of the mission of the church. Number one. We see here in this text the motivation for the mission. We see the motivation for the mission. We don't just see the command, go and make disciples. Sometimes we can just jump straight to the command. Go. Hey, are you going yet? Are you making disciples yet? Well, that's not what Jesus front loads in the text. He actually front loads motivation for the mission. Before he gets to the command, he says to his his disciples, you need to know that something has changed in the universe. And that something is so significant that when you grasp it, it's going to change the way you as my disciples live in this world. It's going to change what you live for. And the something that has changed, according to Jesus, is all authority is mine now. In heaven and on earth, it's mine. The earth, and he's standing there in Galilee. This is dirty Gentiles territory, and he's at the the top of the mountain there in Galilee. Galilee, and he says, look out, as it were, look out, all that in all directions is mine. (laughs) Go get him. Go tell the world, I'm king, 
and I'm on my throne and I reign in grace and power and benevolence and compassion and justice and out they go, right? This, this authority has been given to Jesus, therefore, go and make disciples. So there's the motivation, this is fuel in the tank that's gonna send them forward. This is in your notes, Jesus has the authority to send the church. He has the authority to send the church. You can think about that in a number of different ways. Um, the first serious Christian book I think I ever read from cover to cover, I'm not sure I actually read any books from cover to cover until college. It's just really, anyway. Um, and the first serious Christian book that I read from cover to cover, I think was um, John MacArthur's The Gospel According to Jesus. And that book wrecked my world. It was, it was a forceful experience. And it was written in the context of the so-called lordship controversy that was brewing and dusting up in the 1980s. And John MacArthur, in that book, propagated what to some was the crazy notion that MacArthur was saying that you can't say yes to Jesus as Savior and say no to him as Lord. You, you, he's a total package. He comes as Savior and Lord. You get all of him or you get none of him. You say yes to everything that he is, everything that he says. It's an all or nothing proposition. You run to him and he forgives your sin and he cleanses you and you're his forever and he justifies you and you're declared righteous once for all and he sets the agenda for the rest of your life. He gives you your marching orders from that day forward. And MacArthur was showing from scripture that Jesus' followers are good with that. Jesus' followers like that. They want it to be that way. We trust this savior. We trust him with the keys to our lives. We want him in control. Look, and that's the clear teaching of scripture. Jesus calls the shots. His people listen. That's our place. He talks, we listen, we obey, we respond, and we do that gladly from the heart because we trust him fully. Just think about what the Apostle John says, 1 John 2, 3, and 4. He says this, this is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. (laughs) The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Look, John has this way of just being completely candid, making it extremely clear. There is, according to that passage and many others, there is no lordship controversy in the New Testament. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of the church. He calls the shots. We obey. And this passage actually intensifies that claim because in this passage, we learn not just that Jesus is Lord of the church, He's Lord of the nations. He's Lord of those who haven't believed. Several years ago, John Piper wrote a wonderful book. He just spent several months living in the Gospels under the claims and commands of Jesus Christ. And he came out with a big fat book called What Jesus Demands of the World. (laughs) And he just walks through one after another. He says, come to me. He says, abide in me. Right? He's he's calling. He's, He's saying, Repent. He's claiming the nations as his own. Mission exists, friends, because of this reality. Jesus is worthy of the worship of all people, not just us in this room, all people on 
earth, they're his. They belong to him. He is the creator of all things. We're indebted to him for life and breath and everything. And so here's Jesus standing in Matthew chapter 28, and he is not making a modest claim. He is making a radical claim, having humbled himself and become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, having purchased a people for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation through his death on the cross, now having been vindicated by God the Father through his resurrection from the dead, now having been highly exalted and given the name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where we are in Matthew 28. Jesus is no longer the king designate. He's the king. He says, all authority is mine now. Now I've been given that name. Having humbled myself, now I've received that name that's preeminent, and it's time for the world to hear it. And out you go, right? So they're looking all across Gentile territory, Jewish territory, and the world needs to hear it, and so he sends out his disciples. And we stand in that same train 2,000 years down the road, taking up the same task. So Jesus has the authority to send the church. Next, Jesus has the power to win the nations. (laughs) All authority is his, not just to send the church, but to win the hearers, to win the nations to himself. Frank Houghton was um, born in 1894. He became a missionary in the China Inland Mission in the 1920s. In 1930, he wrote what is arguably the most famous missionary hymn in history, a song called Facing a Task Unfinished. And he wrote that hymn with a request attached. He wrote that hymn requesting 200 missionaries would be sent to China. And China in the 1930s was a horrific place to be. Mao Zedong was going full force, communism on the rise, 200 missionaries heard the song and went to China and is arguably the most incredible moment of church growth in history. In 1958, the wife of Mao Zedong announced, quote, Christianity in China has been confined to museums. It is dead and buried. And you fast forward, and today it's estimated that there are somewhere around or over 70 million Christians in China. At the time, in 1930, when he wrote the song, there were roughly 750,000 known believers in China. Fast forward several years through the heat of persecution, 70 million Christians in China. You just think about even today, foreign believers missionaries, American missionaries, they're, they're getting kicked out left and right, right? But, but the gospel is not bound. <laughs> there are national believers who name the name, and Jesus has power to win the nations. It's part of what he means when he said, all authority is mine. If I be lifted up, Jesus announced, before the cross, if I am lifted up, I will draw all the nations to myself. The cross, as Charles Spurgeon famously said, is the marvelous magnet, and from there he draws the nations to himself. It's an awesome thing. 
And Jesus doesn't ask the government for permission because he's the king. (laughs) And they're his. The nations belong to him. So we see the motivation for our mission. We see the scope of the mission as well. Go ahead and fill in that next point. We invite those who haven't responded. We invite those who haven't responded. That is, who haven't responded to the message of the gospel, who haven't acknowledged Jesus is Lord and Savior and taken that on in their own personal lives. You know, in God's providential timing, uh, it so happens, as Donnie was praying just a moment ago, that many of our students are on mission trips right now. Our students are in a number of different places. They started leaving for spring break trips over the weekend. Our, our own daughter, Ellie, she's, she got her first passport stamp yesterday. Her, I mean, her passport is just absolutely so crisp, completely unused, right? And we're just praying, may this thing just get filled up over the next several years and for the rest of her life, just multiple opportunities to go out. And, and she, so she's, she's in DR now. I was on that trip with our students just three years ago. And so even as she was telling me about the trip, I'm picturing those streets that our kids are gonna be walking on this week and just praying, God, use our kids to make the gospel known. It's an awesome thing. And she's telling me on Friday night, she was, uh, she was assigned a lesson that she needs to give, and it's, it needs to be a whole 14 minutes, right? So she's just, oh my goodness, how am I gonna, you know, so she goes into, into God's word, and she, she goes into John chapter nine, and she's working on this story where Jesus comes up to this man who was born blind and heals him, and it becomes a, a glorious moment of magnifying the grace and power of God, and, and as she's telling me her lesson, I'm getting all the feels, right? I'm just like, this is awesome. And I'm picturing the place that she's going to and all the streets she's gonna be on, and then even after that, just praying all weekend, and I'll be praying this weekend, I know I'm not alone, praying, may John 9 happen. In DR, in Guatemala, in Ecuador, all these different places around the world, may Jesus be opening blind eyes. May our kids come back and say, look, we had read this passage in the Bible, but we saw eyes opened. We saw Jesus do what he does in the book, and it was happening right in front of us. All we did was just share the news, and they just came to Christ. This is a passion of ours. As a church, this is not a chore. This is where the fun happens. The mission of God, the task is unfinished. So in obedience to the Great Commission, we invite those who have not yet responded to respond, to believe. Maybe you're in this room. Maybe you've never believed in Jesus. Maybe you've you've never decided, committed your life to follow him. Never fully, from your heart, embrace the truth that he died for you. He gave his life on the cross, that there's no other way for your sins to be forgiven, that you'll die without him, that you'll face judgment without him, and that he rose again from the dead so everything could be new, everything could be different, old could pass away, new stuff starts coming in the moment we believe. So I would just urge you, if that's you, (laughs) believe. Run to the one savior of the world that God the Father has sent. We, we do it here in the city. We go here and represent Jesus and tell people and invite them to come and follow Jesus. We go to other places in the world and we share good news and we say, come follow Jesus. It's not a program. This is a passion. 
for us as a church. We, we invite those who haven't responded. The next point's this. We invite those who haven't heard. We invite those who haven't heard. Again, get the scope of this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, all the people groups of the world. Jesus lays claim to them in the gospel. He is worthy of the worship of all peoples. And so there's an urgency in this task to get the word to those who have never heard. That's why Paul says he builds in the logic of missions in Romans chapter 10. He says, how how are they going to believe? So they need to believe if they're going to be saved. How are they going to believe if they've never heard the message? So you've got to go get the message to them. And many of them haven't heard. So find the people who haven't heard. Get further and further out so that they can hear and believe and be saved. Oswald Smith famously said this. We talk of the second coming. Half the world has never heard of the first. I don't know if you've ever traveled anywhere in the world. I think the first time that I ever had a a conversation with someone who had never heard the name of Jesus was in China. He had no idea who Jesus was, no idea about the cross, I talked about the resurrection. He said, resurrection. Never heard of it before. We talk about the second coming. Half the world has never heard of the first. That's why we talk so much about engaging unreached or least reached people groups in the world. These are people groups that have limited access to the gospel. If you were raised in that context, we've said this for so many years, if you were raised in that context, it's very likely that you could be born there and live your whole life and die without ever having heard of Jesus and the life that's found in him through his cross and resurrection. The early church was so passionate to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, to those who hadn't heard. Just listen to the Apostle Paul. Romans 15, 20 and 21. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Can we we freshly lean into this as a church? that this gospel news must be heard around the world. We, we are a part of something so much bigger than the Church of Brook Hills. It is so much bitter, bigger than the city of Birmingham or this country. It is a worldwide, global gospel. Our God is a global God <laughs> seeking people from every tribe and nation on planet Earth. It's an awesome thing that we get to be a part of this the privilege of being involved in seeing Jesus worship where he is not currently known. We want to see, what what do we hope for? What do we pray for? So we talk about pray, give, go, send, right? What do we pray for when we pray for the nations? We're praying that the righteousness and peace and joy of the kingdom of God would make landfall, would break in to every place on planet Earth. It would break into hard-to-reach places in the world. We pray and we give and we go toward that end. 
And we just keep doing it. <laughs> we just hit repeat year after year after year. We keep sending, we keep praying, we keep going until every remaining vestige of gospel resistance in the world buckles under the power of the gospel. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the ask? Right? How audacious is that ask? And yet, and yet he is Lord of the world. He's Lord of all peoples. We pray for that moment where through the gospel, joy comes flooding in through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Is there a greater privilege that we have as a church? So it's all here, the motive for God's mission, the scope of God's mission. Third, the objective of the mission. Go and make disciples. This is in your notes. Faithfulness to the mission results in more and more followers of Jesus. That that's what we're ultimately seeking, followers of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a person who's committed to following Jesus. We're not looking for notches on the belt. We're not looking for emotionally produced decisions. We're looking for followers only the Spirit can create that, right? Through the message of the gospel, the Spirit wins hearts, opens people's eyes and hearts to respond, and now they find themselves following, running, finding Jesus compelling and beautiful, right? We're, we're called, so we're called, think of our life as a church, as a local church. We're called to be disciples, and we're called to make disciples. Both of them, not one or the other. Matter of fact, the second one depends on the first, according to Paul. Follow me as I follow Christ. If I stop following Christ, don't follow me, right? So the second, the disciple-making effort depends on the first. So we're, we want to be disciples, we want to make disciples. In other words, we're called to follow Jesus and to help others follow Jesus. It's a simple kind of two-pronged task as a church. That involves everything this disciple-making vision involves everything from teaching new believers to obey everything that he's commanded. So that's one of the participles in this text that modifies that main imperative verb, make disciples. It's just teaching them, teaching them to obey. One-third of the Great Commission is teaching new believers what it means to follow Jesus with the book open, looking at his word, listening to his commands. It also involves evangelism. So this is kind of pre-discipleship, Right? It also involves even apologetics. So the apostles, they reasoned with people in the open square, in the Areopagus, in the synagogue. They reasoned with people. They wanted to remove hindrances, remove barriers that hindered faith in Jesus. That whole task, that's part of what it means to bring people to a place of saying, Jesus is worth knowing. He is worth worshiping. He is worth serving. Come follow him with me. The objective of the Great Commission is more and more followers of Jesus. Next, gospel proclamation and church planting go hand in hand. You see what happens in this passage. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them. Baptizing who? Who's the them? The new disciples. So you're baptizing these new followers of Jesus. Baptize them so that in Acts, baptism is a church function. It doesn't happen in isolation. I mean, there is the case with the Ethiopian eunuch, but there's no church in Ethiopia. So that makes sense. But baptism is a church function. 
That's why the, the frequent pattern of words throughout the book of Acts is they were baptized and they were added to the church. And that doesn't just mean they were added to the kind of global masses of those who claim the name. It's they were added to the community of believers in Jerusalem. And they were added to the community of believers in Ephesus and Antioch and all these places. They were added, folded into local congregations. That's why I didn't baptize my kids in our bathtub at our house. There's a bigger family that needs to know what happened here. You need to be folded into that larger fellowship that Jesus intended for your growth. I'm so glad you're a believer. Let's get you into these waters. Let's get you out so you can publicly tell your new brothers and sisters what Jesus has done in your life. Because we're telling our sons and daughters when they come to faith or whoever it is that comes to faith that you need a local church. You need a local body outfitted with the stuff that's in the New Testament. Elders, deacons, so duly qualified elders, 1 Timothy 3, deacons, Acts chapter 6, Ephesians 4, pastor teachers, local churches, right? And God is going to grow their faith in that community. So that's why baptism is a public event. Gather the family, the local church family, and tell the news. That's why we talk about missions in relation to church planting. It's not just evangelism. It's evangelism with a view to the planting of churches, with a view to the raising up of elders and deacons, right, and ministry that grows out of each of those local outposts of kingdom work that are called local churches. So just think about this. So in sending a team to East Asia, as we have, in sending a team to North Africa and the Middle East and, and Central Asia and KL, right? The goal has always been not just converts. The goal is churches planted in all those different places, that there would be a church there, people who have believed the gospel and are formed into a community of disciples who are gathered under the preaching of the word, gathering under the administration of the sacraments, taking the Lord's Supper together, baptizing new believers Confessing their hope together in the gospel as they gather on the Lord's Day. A community of hope-filled people. And hopefully a community where more and more indigenous believers are a part of those fellowships and more and more elders are raised up in those indigenous and from those indigenous communities. That's, that's the long-range goal. A missional people in that place, from that place, intent on sharing the gospel with their neighbors and pushing that further and further out, planting churches from there further and further out till the task is done. It's a big, big thing. We could, there's no way we could program this. There's no way we can just kind of come up with ministry plans that will pull this off. This is a work of the Spirit of God, but we want to be faithful. I love this quote from McConnell and McKinley, their book, The Church in Hard Places. It says, the local church is God's primary evangelism ministry strategy. Paul thought of the region from Jerusalem to Illyricum, what we would today call the Balkans, as being reached with the gospel. The ministry of the gospel was fulfilled there. Was that because Paul had preached the gospel in every community and home in that vast area? Of course not. Instead, 
Paul could check this part of the world off his list because he knew there were churches in these places. Paul knew that the churches there were how the gospel would spread into all of the individual neighborhoods. Local churches do local evangelism. How helpful is that? It's clarifying. As a part of this local church, friends, again, we're part of something way bigger than ourselves. When we pray, when we give, and I mean just our normal offering, and I also mean our global offering, when we give and of our resources to the spread of the gospel, what are we doing practically? Practically, we're looking at Matthew 28 and saying, yes, more of this. <laughs> Let's do this together. Let's commit to this together. We're saying, I'm all in for what's right here. We say that practically. I was at a, a college preview day with my son William on Friday. I am tired of college preview days, y'all. Golly. We've been to two colleges just this week. We've been to two different places and preview day experiences and auditions and all the conversations with all the people, right? And, and so we're at a preview day at uh, Boyce College up in Louisville, Kentucky. And um, our friend, the dean there, Matt Hall, came and preached to us last year. You may have been here on that Sunday. And Matt Hall, the dean, is up there talking to these prospective students, a room full of students. And he said, here's the value of a Christian education. He said, there's other ways to do it, but here's the value of a Christian college education. He said, you get a biblical worldview that connects to everything that we talk to you about. Business, philosophy, politics, everything. Two, an emphasis on Christian discipleship. And three, and I love this, a heart for the nations. And I leaned over to Will and said, that's the dean of the college. He wants you to have a heart for the nations. He just said that out loud. He even went on to say, he he told the parents, he said, we just want you to know all up front here, cards face up, we have a subversive agenda for your students. (laughs) He said, we would love it if your student who studies business here takes a trip to Dubai and sets up connections there and then comes back to your house Maybe when, he's, when it's time for him to graduate and he says to you across the table, I think I need to consider moving to Dubai, setting up shop there, living as a Christian, doing business as a Christian there. And he said, for us, that would be awesome. <laughs> a subversive agenda up front. And then, then Dr. Hall says to his incoming students, he says this, I wrote it down. If you don't want to come to this college and hear us constantly urge you to be a faithful member of a local church, You'll hate it here. He said, we are not the church. And I leaned over again to Will. I was probably driving him crazy. I'm like, that's the dean. <laughs> like, who says that? How, what other preview day have we been to where the dean of the college says, you need to be in a local church, and I want you to have a heart for the world. <laughs> Look, that, that's why this series matters. We come back we come back to home plate and we say, are we still in? That, that, that's why our church covenant matters. And we say it at least three times a year. We come together as a faith family in our faith family gatherings. And we read the church covenant out loud. And what are we doing there? We're saying, are we still into this? Is this what we're committed to together? All this stuff because this is in scripture and because God's word hasn't changed So can we hit the refresh button? Can we recommit? Look, our our maturity in Christ, as Chip said last week, our maturity in Christ matters, and our mission for Christ matters. Both matter. 
So we have the motivation, the scope, the objective, and finally, the promise of the mission. What's the promise of the mission? You can fill this in while you're there. He will be with us as we go. He will be with us as we go. Yes, Jesus is omnipresent. He is with us at all times. He is a, Psalm 46, he is a very present help in trouble. But I don't think that's all that Jesus intends in Matthew chapter 28. There, in Matthew 28, there is a witness of Jesus with his people that we experience as we're going with the gospel. I think that's the, that's the particular angle of Matthew 28. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them, and I'm there. I'm all up in that work. As you give yourself to that mission, you'll find me standing right next to you. I'll be with you to the end of the age as you're going and making disciples and baptizing and teaching new believers. You know, it's so tempting, especially in the church in the West, it's so tempting to, to want to know the nearness of Christ while venturing little for Christ. Right? We want a vibrant relationship with Jesus, but we don't want to come out of pocket. We don't, we don't want to put our lives on the line. We, we don't want to leave our comfort zones right, or to serve others. That can get on us, right? That, that's the consumerism of our culture, and it can weave its way into the church. Jesus, Jesus promises to be with us as we give ourselves to his mission. He doesn't leave us to work in the fields of harvest alone. He's right there. He's with us. We're fellowshipping with him along the way. We're tasting something of, of his joy, something of his sufferings as we serve on mission. We're being yoked to Christ. In other words, Jesus is saying, you'll never have to wonder where I am when you're about the mission, mission I've given you. Let me say that again. You'll never have to wonder where I am when you are about the mission I've given you. So what do we do? What do we do with this? A, a few things just for us to think about as we, as we leave momentarily. Number one, live on mission here. Live on mission here. And I hope to talk more about this in just a few weeks, but... Whether you ever go somewhere else, short-term or mid-term or long-term, to share the gospel, you're called to pray for the mission, you're called to give to, the, to advance God's mission, and you're called to go with the gospel right here where you live. Every one of us is called to share Jesus right here. He has us here. We're called to share Jesus right where he has us. So we don't, in other words, we, we don't travel to other parts of the world to kind of get our missionary wiggles out Right, and then, and then we come back here and just attend church. No, 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 we're called to live the gospel out on mission right here in our communities, in our workplaces, at the ballpark, it, right, in our homes, in our families. When, when God sends people out for cross-cultural work in other places in the world, that call from God should interrupt you doing that here. It, he should be interrupting you making disciples here and say, hey, I actually want you to consider, talk to Brook Hills Global Team, talk to those guys about going and doing what you're doing right now. So it's awesome. Do it over here. 
interrupting what we're currently giving our lives to. Number two, prioritize our unique task. And by that I mean making disciples. Particularly urgent spiritual need, accent on urgent spiritual need. People are facing judgment without Jesus. That's the one thing we do that nobody else does is we tell them how to escape judgment from a holy God and find mercy in the arms of Jesus. Uh, I love this quote again from McConnell McKinley, their excellent book. It says, while a church may do a lot of different things in the service of that mission, everything that it does should be aimed at those final goals, proclaiming the gospel and helping people to grow in their obedience to God. Love this. Starbucks sells coffee, Listerine makes mouthwash, and the church holds out the gospel and trains people to obey by doing the work of ministry. If we don't do it, no one will. The reason we talk about planting churches as a first priority, particularly in pioneering contexts, new places in the world where unreached or least reached places in the world, is you plant a church there, now everything that the gospel brings can grow. All the domestic ministries that come in and through the local church can start flourishing. It can become an outpost of all kinds of gospel renewal in the city. Gospel renewal in the city is meant to radiate out from local churches. That's why we want to first order businesses, let's plant a church. Let's get the church in that town. And once the church is in that town, all manner of good things and gospel things can happen. The church, if you will, it, comes, it becomes a kind of um, kingdom Wi-Fi signal, right? Isn't it frustrating where you're somewhere and you don't have a Wi-Fi signal? <laughs> certain things you can't do, certain things you can't access, things that you can do when you have a Wi-Fi signal. There's a kingdom Wi-Fi signal, and it's called a local church. So that every place the church is established, you have a signal now. Right, that place is online. That place can access. You can see gospel-driven justice there now. You can see gospel-driven compassion clearly embodied in the people of God. It's there now. It's live. That's that's the interplay, I think, between pioneering missions work and the self-sustaining domestic ministries that that spring up where communities of faith exist. Third, catch God's burden. Catch God's burden. William Carey, before he ever went to India, he was already fascinated by the world and he had a map on his wall. And when anybody ever came over to his house and he loved to have people over and when travelers would come over, he would ask them, tell me everything. Tell me everything. And then he would go over to his map and he would write down everything he was learning about different places in the world. He just had this global passion. He had a burden and he cultivated it. Friend, read missionary biographies. Read missionary updates. Read and pray through Operation World. These are some of my favorite quotes. These light me up. I come back to them often. Hudson Taylor. If I had a thousand lives... I'd give them all for China. Rolling Bingham. I will open Africa to the gospel or die trying. Robert Moffat, who inspired the great missionary David Livingston, said, in the vast plain to the north I have sometimes seen in the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary 
has ever been. Henry Martin, the missionary to India and Persia, said, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. Cultivate this passion. Catch God's burden. Go short term. We go places all over the world. Pick a place. Get the field under your feet. and See what God is doing in the wide world. Outside of where we live, when we moved to Birmingham, um, we left all of our close friends and family. You know, our kids were, were born there in New Orleans. And so all their closest relationships were, were going to be left behind. And so there were many tears when we were processing the conversation of moving to Birmingham. So during family worship, we were trying to seize every opportunity to talk about the possible blessings that might materialize in, in the Lord sending us to Birmingham. And one of the things that we said to them night after night, this was seven years ago, was um, kids, um, churches have different strengths. And one of the things that the Church of Brook Hills, that God has worked into this faith family, is a love and a passion for the nations. And, and not only can we learn more about God's big plan for the world, but we can actually get involved in all kinds of ways in God's big plan for the world. And then we moved here and we could hear them sniffling in their bedrooms every night, missing their friends and feeling all of that, right? And, and then we came to our first Wednesday night and it just so happened that we dropped off Ellie in Brook Hills Kids Ministry on the third floor and it just so happened that that night they were having a Skype call with our church planners in East Asia and up on the screen comes Chris and Leah and they're talking with, with our kids. And Ellie comes home, and so we, we all got together. We're going to have a brief time of family worship after the Wednesday night activities here. We sat together, and, and Ellie said, I need to tell you about what, what I heard tonight. And she, she spelled H-U-I, and she said it's actually pronounced Hui. And I'm just over the moon, and I'm saying to the kids, I told you. <laughs> I told you, we didn't, even, we didn't even know this people group existed, much less feel God's burden for these people on the other side of the world. Now we can pray for them. And maybe we can one day go there. And so you fast forward a few years, just two years ago, and I find myself there in East Asia, and I'm in the apartment of the people who were on the screen, Chris and Lee, and I'm in their apartment. I look across the room, and there's my sons. I'm saying, this is... This is this is one of the glories and the beauties of God's work in our local church. He's given us a passion for his wide work in the world. And here she is getting her first passport stamp yesterday. May it continue. Brook Hills, Jesus is our passion, which means we want to live our lives for his glory. We want to love him more than we did yesterday. We want the nations to know him. The ones who haven't heard his name, we want them worshiping his name as soon as possible. That's our desire. It's, it's in our bloodstream. You know, Jesus couldn't, couldn't have trusted these 11 men right there on the, the top of the mountain in Galilee. He couldn't have trusted them with something more precious. And you read the book of Acts, and they did not take his trust lightly. Brook Hills, we're, we're not alone 
in the work of the Great Commission. And that should, look, that should help us pace ourselves. We're in this for the long haul. We're not by ourselves. But, but listen, we have a part to play. <laughs> we have some going to do. He has entrusted us with this gospel. We're no longer guests on the planet. We're hosts now. We're inviting this earth. We're inviting our community and the ends of the earth. Come to the table. Come to the feast. There's a banquet out here. Come with us. Let's worship him together. He, Jesus, has the authority standing here at full height in his lordship. He has the authority to send us. He has the power to make the mission successful to the ends of the earth, for the joy of all peoples, and for the glory of his name. May God make us and keep us faithful.